my son almost died four years ago. He was 11 years old and weighed 27 kilograms. He had an eating, so it's an eating disorder. So, you know, went down from 45 to 27 kilos. He was emaciated wow. and close to the end. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons I got clean. And, um, you know, him and his, his elder brother, Ollie, um, uh, was, uh, was almost as ill, but angry. And little by little, they've got better. Uh, they've got more confident, more smiles. And just, you can see their self-esteem grow, and it's amazing to watch. And, and it suddenly brought home to me quite how important, you know, parents are with kids, because you, you know, you think they'll muddle by, they'll make the most of everything, but you have a massive impact on their, on, on what happens to them. And I, I hadn't appreciated that before. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. We talk to these people about risk, risk they've taken in their lives, risk they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. And on this episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Ben White. Ben is a serial entrepreneur, having exited his previous companies for over 800 million pounds. He's the co-founder of Up, which recently raised a late seed stage round, a venture-backed late seed stage round. And it was also one of the founding partners of Notion Capital. Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. It's nice to be here. So Ben, 800 million is a crazy number, of course. Um, obviously, behind that story, there's the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, and, and a lot of pain and joy along the way. But sitting where you are right now and looking back at all the things that you've achieved in your career, how does it make you feel when you hear it put together in that way? Um... Do you know what? I feel exactly the same today as I did 33 years ago when I first started, when I first understood technology. I remember way back then, it wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. It was Def Leppard t-shirts and let's, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was the first thing that I did that made sense to me. You could put things together. It was my Rubik's Cube, my mental Rubik's Cube. I always had a very overactive mind. and I, I could just fiddle and put things together and make something and deliver something, uh, hopefully of a value. Mm. And it's interesting because building a technology company and building technology, two very different things, right? Mm -hmm. The uh, inclination you had towards the Rubik's Cube and and putting things together does not always mean that you're going to have the fortitude, the tactical uh, ability to actually go and build an amazing business. Is that something that you found just lent itself to, to who you were naturally? Is that something that developed over time? Tell us a bit more about how, so that, how you took technology into is, business. That is a great question. Basically, you often get two sorts of people in a startup. You get a pure geek mm-hmm. who's really interested in the software and desperate to show you the software that may or may not have value. Or you get someone who's very, very commercial, who's maybe have come from you know, a consulting-type gig, you know, he's got very, you know, very overqualified in business. He spots a niche, so a good one would be Notions One at the moment. I forget the name of the business. Um, Muse, mm-hmm. basically, which is a very valuable business. They had the idea, the challenge of um, just staff, tem- temporary staff. Think about it. If you're running two or three hotels, and um, how much of a nightmare it is it were all those temporary staff that you've got, and they're ringing up, I can't make it, I'm going to be late. Just an app. You know, you, you check in, you check out. If you're going to be late, you let them know. And it's a way of just, rec- you know, making sure that you've got the right people at the right time and keeping tabs on people. Mm. And so those kind of entrepreneurs quite often, are they will come from, sorry, I'm t- slightly contradicting myself, but some entrepreneurs come from, they've worked in a hotel 
as a manager, and they've had that problem of staff, you know, of the, the staff problem, and they've gone off to build software to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Muse, that's, that's exactly what they've done. Interesting. And for you, was the approach um, really that? So I think what you're talking about there is, is really founder market fit, right? The founder has lived and breathed that problem. They right. understand it. They should be able to get traction. They should be able to get sales because they're selling into something which they have come from. Mm. Was that your experience or were you more on the, the geeky side of, no, this is just technology, which is going to be great, going to be work. Let, let's build it and see what comes. I mean, the truth is it's always a combination of all of these things. You kind of half stumble into it, half work your way towards it. In my case, if you look at the very first business that we set up, that was selling Cisco networking equipment. Mm -hmm. How we differentiated ourselves is by only selling Cisco. At the time, Cisco had three or four competitors that were, you know, much, much bigger. But because we only sold Cisco, we became synonymous with it. All the sales guys knew the range better than anybody else. So we were were able to make more money. Mm. We were able to understand customers' requirements. So when customer bought a, a... you know, a router or a switch. What cables might you need? What memories might you, might you need? If you understand that, you can fully load it. You can make more money mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day. And guess what? Customers want to speak to you because you will always come up with things that they haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like going to a department store. If you go into a department store and they're selling tons of different brands, how often do you go and speak to someone? We've all had the experience of, can you help me with this? Oh, I know I don't work there. All right. And so many businesses are like that too. And if you specialize, you can you often do a, a much better job than a, a, a someone who's trying to offer, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Super interesting. So for me, uh, it sounds like your approach to building business, although incredibly successful, was never based around, I want to make a ton of money, more based around the love of building technology. Is that, is that a fair assessment? I only ever wanted to make enough money to buy a decent bottle of wine on a Friday night, um, take uh, a, a girlfriend out for dinner with some, somewhere that wasn't embarrassing, yep. uh, and, and play a little bit of golf, um, you know, and pay, and pay my membership. That's that's what it started out as. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good to me. So when it comes to investing, mm. what's your approach there? Is that then more about investing in companies that you want to see in the world, or is it more about thinking, you know, about a return on investment? How, how has that changed? I think when you're looking at someone to invest in, you're looking for something magical. You're looking for, does this person have something different? Um, lots of people have got good ideas, but it's going to be shit, right? It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter how good your idea is. Most of them is going to be a load of shit that you hadn't expected. You know, time and time again, you want to give up. You go, nothing, maybe someone connects with you on LinkedIn that mm-hmm. you've tried. Someone answers an email. You get a shot in the arm and you've got the energy to go to the next level. You pick yourself up, pick the team up and go. And it's brutal, mm-hmm. right? You know, far more companies fail than succeed. And so it's, it's, you're looking for somebody with the X factor. Someone who can also hire people and keep them believing mm. and keep, their, uh, keep the people they've hired, keep their eyes on the horizon and keep them believing. Because it's not just about you believing, it's about keep making sure that your, ta- your team continue to believe. 100%. I uh, recently spoke to the GP of a, a fund who said for him the you know, strongest conviction of investing in a founder is their ability to inspire. Um, because if you can't inspire the the person who might be investing, how are you going to inspire top talent to stay with you and give you the best five, six years of their lives? So it's uh, something we hear time and time again. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. 
but I would I would say it's inspire authentically mm. is a difference because if you lots of people can inspire initially, mm-hmm. but if it's not authentic, it won't it won't continue to glow. If it, if you, and pe- those people will be found out. So my style and who I would always like to invest in is, and as a manager, my style's always been if I've got an idea, you feed it to somebody without them knowing. And then sit back like a proud father when they uh, when they talk about their idea in front of the company or in front of the board or whatever, because you know they, they teach them how to fish and all you know that analogy. Mm, super interesting. And you're not trying to be the big swinging dick mm. at all. You're trying to grow lots of amazing people. Super interesting. And I wonder. So I think there's two things you touch on there. One is obviously that ability to nurture and ability to uh, mm. develop talent as well as spot it. But I think one of the things that I see as a bit of a negative trend within entrepreneurialism, not negative trend, but but the reality of where it is right now is a lot of people want to be entrepreneurial for the sake of being entrepreneurial rather than wanting to solve a problem or finding they have purpose to solve something. And I think that authenticity, or at least what I've seen with companies that I've invested, where the authenticity dissipates the quickest is where actually the founder is more driven by well, I'm doing this because I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to be a founder rather than I have genuine passion to solve this problem. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but of course you're absolutely right. And that want to be a founder thing, it's just, yeah, it's just nonsense. It's, it just, it's just, I don't know, if it, it's the cool thing to do. That's, if I doubt they will be successful. And if they are, it'll be luck. Yes, <coughs> and you have to be a total masochist to want to be a founder, and and you know th- there's a certain uh, that's my view on it anyway, right? There's a you especially a, a multiple time founder where you know what you're about to put yourself through, right? You have to have a certain level of of being unhinged in order to want to go through the journey again and again, right? No, no, absolutely. I mean, think how many times do you want to crawl into the corner and put a duvet over yourself and hope the whole fucking world disappears, and you just know never again. And I could, you know, um, and then something amazing happens. You sit down with a customer and they say, do you know what? Not only does the software do what you said it would do, but you probably underplayed the capability and I can't see, I can't wait to see where your roadmap takes us. Because they say, most, most software is rubbish, right? How many times do people buy software, businesses buy software, and a year later they go, do you know what? I'd buy that again and I'd buy it twice on Sunday. Mm. How, what, one out of 10? Very, very rare. And I've been successful because I obsess about, so they're paying us a pound, can I, sh- can I very clearly show they're getting three or four pounds back? Mm-hmm. And the pain I've gone on to, I've tried to solve, have I really solved that pain mm-hmm. authentically? Mm-hmm. And can I prove it? So for any young entrepreneur listening to this, because I think there's a, there's a really key lesson here, because we're not just talking about the efficacy of the product, we're talking about the efficacy of the measurement of the impact, and we're talking about everything around that as well. So to a bootstrapped founder or early seed founder who has got limited resource, maybe all they can do is build the MVP, let alone build all the analytics around that, etc. What do you do? Do you... Do you um, just say, no, we need to raise more money in order to make that work? Do you say, well, look, we're going to acquire early customers who are not going to get the full experience and build alongside them, possibly burn them? You know, how, how do you approach that when you don't have resources to play with? So the longer you remain like a mad professor mm-hmm. in a white jacket in theory land, the, more, the greater the chance of you failing. 
the sooner you can get your software, however rough and ready, mm -hmm. into the hands of people that are using it, the better chance you have of success. Because you can just iterate really fast. And that's true. Every, anyone listening to this who's done that knows how quickly, and you will, how quickly does your software iterate once it's in the hands of a customer? Mm -hmm. Also, once it's in the hands of the customer, the whole company lifts up. My shit's being used. People are using you know, and it makes it real. 100%. And mm. as you said, it's, uh, and we do this weekly on the uh, end of week calls. We have, you know, a real celebration of customer success. And that, and that in terms of, giving everyone that inspiration, keeping everyone believing when it's when people come up to you at an event and say, oh, you know, you might not know who we are, but we used your software and we had this outcome. It, it's all about that, exactly. So one question I have for you then is, what would you say to a founder who is, here's what you say, but they're scared about burning customers because the product's rough, you know, and rough and not ready. What would you say to them? It's, 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 it's you have to do it. Whether you want to do it or not, you have to do it. You hope that you won't burn any, mm -hmm. but you will. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the reality. But remember, the quid pro quo is somebody's getting software and however many engineers you've got dedicated to making sure that it, uh, the impact on the customer is what you say it's going to be. So that's pretty cool for the customer, for the early customers as well. So it's not, you know, it, it, it can work for both sides. Yes. Absolutely. And I think the, the other thing that I always uh, would add on that side is if you're worried about if you're worried about burning a few of your initial customers, you're probably not in a big enough market. You know, if, if you're relying on those initial customers to be make or break, then you, you're going to have bigger problems along the way. Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey with wanting to, you know, come go back around on the rodeo. For another, for another go on the circuit, obviously you've had the success, you've had the, the monetary outcomes. Why are you doing what you're doing now? Um, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't doing it for financial reasons, you know, um, due to the, you know, <clears throat> as it's, you know, I spent 10 years um, struggling with addiction issues <clears throat> and that's now behind me. Well, it's never behind you, but I've, you know, I've got control of it. Um, and I burned a lot of money in, mm. in, in that period of time with ridiculous business uh, um, ideas or investments that I made. And I kidded myself that, you know, if I had a Google or something worth billions, I'd be happy. Of course, the only person that can make you happy is you. Mm -hmm. we, we all know that. But when you're in it, you don't, you, you don't know that. So a combination of that and a couple of ex-wives, you know, it me, means that, you know, I only had a small percentage of the businesses that I started mm. by the time I sold them means that, um, you know, I, I need to, I only make money when I sell businesses, really. Mm. You know, I don't have an income as such. And that's number one. And number two, um, you know, I'm just loving fiddling with my Rubik's Cube again and sitting down with customers and, you know, all the rough and tumble that gets, that you know, comes with them having your software, using it, feeding back. Some of the feedback's good, some of the feedback's bad. Mm -hmm. You take it both on board and that helps you iterate and get closer and closer to something that, you, that we hope in the case of uh, retailers who are our market can can be transformational. Mm. And it's amazing to hear, uh, I don't know if we can discuss on here, but some of the brands already that you're working with and some of the traction that you're getting, uh, how excited are you about this versus other businesses you've built? Um, I'm, as, I'm as excited about this as any business that I've been involved in. Amazing. You know, it's got... Um, retail, you know, on we sell to online retailers. There's so that's a huge market. Uh, number one, they number two, uh, number two, they struggle to make money. You know, I think what, there's a myth online that you know because there's no rent, no rates, 
Um, so we're going to make tons of money because we've got far less people. But the rent and rates are taken over by you know what you pay Google and Bing and um, uh, Amazon, etc. Et yes. So a retailer might make a sixty or seventy percent gross margin. Uh, net, 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 they struggle to make money. All, mm. all of them struggle to make money. And we think that's because there's so many manual activities that a retailer does all day, every day, performance marketing being a, 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 a big part of that, to drive sales. Because all of these activities are not automated and they're manual, they're often one one lever works against another lever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a good example of that would be in our data we see about if we look at all the products, uh, we've got about three, uh, 30 million products at the moment that, that, that we drive. About 18% of those are on discount at any one time. Of that 18%, about 20% would sell out anyway. So they're discounting products that would sell out. But the, that t- the data tells us that, but they don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's amazing. And, and I guess goes right back to the philosophy of being able to demonstrate very quickly to your customers exactly how much they're saving and it being, you know, at a, at a much greater multiple than they're spending with you. So um, really interesting to see that that philosophy stays consistent throughout and clearly is a great recipe for success. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you, because we, we spoke about this uh, a few months ago when we first chatted. Um, why is there such prevalence of addiction within the entrepreneurial community and what is your view on it well we're all crazy <laughs> right certainly uh, helps yeah. well i mean you know because if you're going to start a business as you as you as you said i mean you're signing up to yeah there's going to be lots of amazing highs but there's going to be you know a lot of lows mm. and a lot of soul searching and a, you know a lot of pressure put on your partner your family or whatever because it's a it's an all-consuming thing mm. is it isn't it? And anyone that says there's work-life balance in an early-stage software company, I would question that. I just I think it's bollocks. Yeah. I, I just don't think it's true. Um, and I think the problem is, in my case, I'd spent 20 years building these businesses, uh, th- three businesses in total. Um, so it wasn't one I sold for 800 million. Mm-hmm. It was one I sold for 600 million, 100 and whatever. So that's one of the things I'm proud of is you can get lucky once. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You can't get lucky three times. Yes, absolutely. Um, and suddenly I stopped. I got divorced. I had a big pile of cash. Um, and suddenly, what do I do all the time? You know, I rang lots of friends. Let's go and play golf, go for a walk, fancy doing a bit of cooking. Then we're all working, mm. right? Um, and so I, you know, suddenly found you find you're mixing with tons of people who really aren't your friends. Mm-hmm. We've all watched the movie, and then you know. You know, you're, you're trying to re- get the same highs mm-hmm. that you got from that, all of those, all of the rough and tumble that goes with early stage software companies in another way. Yes. And unfortunately, it's a very unhealthy way. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And what is your advice now as someone who, how long have you been in recovery? And uh, for, uh, Jul- uh, July the 28th, 2019. Wow, so you just hit four years yeah. recently. Amazing, congrats. Thank you. Um, so what is your advice to people when, especially entrepreneurs, mm. where you've had that high, right? And I, I genuinely believe, and in, in reading a lot of the neuro, neurological literature mm. around the impact of dopamine on the brain, mm. when you've gone so far on the, the pleasure scale, let's say, in terms of hitting all those highs and all the things that come with selling a company and, and everything else and, and you know, the the 
cathartic moment that's been building that's going to solve all your problems when you exit, obviously never does, mm. um, and, and all the highs associated with that. How do you then go back to regulating pain, pleasure in that way and becoming, you know, getting used to saying, well, actually, I don't necessarily need that adrenaline anymore. I need to find different outlets. What, what does that journey look like for you? What's your advice to people who might be going through that? Well, I think the first of all is to know it's going to happen, mm. right? Most people don't know it's going to happen. They think they're going to sail off into the sunset of the land of milk and honey. You know, whatever there might be jets, cars, it might be walking in the parent, you know, it, it, whatever takes their fancy, they can, they, they can now do. But one thing that for all of us is true, you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. Mm. And if you don't fill that with something that... Um, keeps your curious brain active, you will look to stimulate it in artificial ways, whatever that might be. And so knowing that you're going to feel like this and accepting it mm. and planning for it, you know, because how many, how many entrepreneurs plan? Mm. No, you don't think about it. Because you don't know when the company's going to be bought, right? Yeah, exactly. So it suddenly gets bought and you're going, well, right. Uh, I, I bet you the stories of addiction, I, I will never know the data, but... I bet you there's a very high correlation between entrepreneurs who suddenly sell a business and problems. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, must be. Because it's also, I think, very unnatural to come into a huge amount of money at one point in time, right? This is not, that's not the normal human experience, right? So the coaching around, well, what do you do when suddenly overnight you have a huge amount of money which you've never had before? You know, it, it, it's psychologically a very difficult thing to... Uh, adapt to mm. um one question i have for you is uh what do you think the role of do, or do you see that there is a uh, a um correlation between adhd and entrepreneurialism how, and how does that interplay with with addiction and dopamine and adrenaline and yeah, am i right in thinking you have adhd as well is that right i mean i i do have that label yes that's, that's what i thought yeah, yeah but I do see, sort of see them as labels because ev everyone's got something, mm. right? Yes. What is neurotypical, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That, I've never heard that expression before. It's a good expression. But so embrace what you've got because most things have two sides of a coin, right? Mm -hmm. it's part of it's good, part of it's bad. And so embrace it. You know, I've, I'm just very dyslexic as well. And um, I know that the way that I see the world is pretty different to the way that most of my friends see the world. So that's a gift. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that gift is it's, it, I have a very restless brain and, yeah. you know, it's, it's constantly turning things over. It's a bit like, you know, the what was that chess, that Netflix chess box set? Uh, Queen's Gambit? Queen's Gambit. Yeah. I genuinely lie on my bed, look at, you know, if I've got a puzzle and I'm I'm playing it out. You know. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I, I, not, not the chessboard. Uh, sure, but, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but, but very similar to that. Yeah. So it, the, it really does happen. It, and it's really, really interesting because I think uh, I, I've gone through so many um, phases of how I feel about the ADHD label and what it means for me. And as you said, we all have something. There is There can't be a neurotypical brain, right? There can't be a mm. normal brain. There's always going to be levels of divergence. I'm going to use that now, neurotypical, I like that. Yeah, yeah. right. There's, there's going to be levels of divergence from being neurotypical mm. on, on every part of the spectrum. Uh, but one of the things that I found most useful for me in understanding how to manage my ADHD, and again, for any founders listening to this who, who might be going through the same thing, um, the task and focus parts of the brain 
in a healthy brain mm -hmm. fire asynchronously, right? Mm -hmm. In the ADHD brain, they fire together, yeah. fire synchronously. Mm. Now for us, and that's why we can't focus, right, apparently. For us to regulate the the way those those modules fire is mm. through dopamine release. Mm. So of course, as people with ADHD, we seek high dopamine environments, mm. high risk environments, etc., in order for us to focus. And it makes one of the things that makes us good entrepreneurs because in these p moments of chaos where dopamine is being released, that's actually what allows us to then get I into focus know, mode. Because I was I was going to contradict you there and say I I can focus. Okay, I find it hard. Almost like writing an email to, to to a customer. I'm great in the meeting. Da, 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 yeah. But now I've got to write down using my childlike uh, use yeah. of uh, use of English. Most of my colleagues would say, "Ben, it's a stream of consciousness." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's um, a slow dopamine situation, right? We're writing an email. Yeah, yeah. But um, once I'm in it, it's actually the thought of starting it is much uh, is much harder than actually doing it. When mm. when I'm doing it. I actually can focus now, especially now I don't drink several bottles of wine a day. It probably helps. That, yeah, 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 enormously. <laughs> and actually, I find it very cathartic because it's. I know that good stuff comes from writing things down, and it helps me unpack and then pack my thoughts up, and then be able to communicate them in a more effective way mm. verbally. Interesting. If, if you see what I mean. Yes. Even if I have, even if I never end up sending the email. Or, or whatever, it's still helpful. I'm getting closer and closer to the ultimate goal of being able to explain, in, you know, if, if it's a business conundrum, what it is that we do, how we do it, and why you should give a shit. Mm. Super interesting. And do you find that there are um, things that you've brought into your life which help with um, retaining more peace and retaining more um, focus? I, I, I always try and pull out practical advice for people listening to this so for me it's you know so when i sold my last company mm. i was like okay i have two options here go off the rails entirely or try and become addicted to something positive so i went hardcore into gym right if i did not go to the gym for four hours a day mm. i would be drinking till i pass out in the night right <laughs> you know it was, it was that it, it was that option you know mm. um but for me going into the exercise thing, meditation. These are things that I find mm. that I have to do in order to make sure that I stay on a really solid path um, and, you know, aren't not just chasing highs in that way. So w what are things that you've brought in which have helped other than founding a new technology you know what? company? Um, well? I don't live in London yep. now. I, I spend two or three days a week here. And I find living out of London where I can just see the country, mm -hmm. you know, grab my dogs, go for a walk. Look at nature. I mean, it doesn't get any better. There's so many beautiful parts of this country. How can you not be content when you're wandering around, whether it's the autumn and all the leaves changing colour or the June when the, you know, when the grass is so green and mm. beautiful and vivid? Um, and, you know, who can't feel calm when, uh, when you're doing that? Yeah. Um, who can't feel calm? You know, it took me ages with my kids to be present with them. And I think I'm very present now, mm. but there's nothing better than listening and working with them. And you, you, you begin to realize that as I got more present, every little thing you say and do, you know, at some point you'll see that reflected in, 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 in their behavior. Wow. And, you know, the, so they're a Rubik's Cube as well. You know, but just uh, the imp and I, when people said everything that you do impacts your children, I thought, yeah, 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 but bollocks, you know. But actually, um, like some of the stuff I, you know, I got told in rehab at the time, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's from mamby pamby hippies. I'm not into that, but you know, begrudgingly in time, you go, oh, yeah, it's probably right. They probably had a point, but certainly with regard to you know, uh, hanging out with your children, 
but being very present is very calming. Mm. Even if it's chaotic, it's mm. calming because you lie back at the end of the day and go, that was cool. They got a lot out of that, out of me today. And, um, you know, and that's, that's priceless. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of staying present, is that something which you've developed naturally? Is that part of meditation and, and mindfulness? What, what's your journey with? Because for me, that, that's been something, especially over the last few years, that I've really been driving towards is how do you stay present? How do you appreciate the, the now? Give as much value, be as genuine and authentic in the moment as possible. And for me, meditation has been the only way to really allow me to unlock that. I don't know if that's something that you've... No, I, I just think you start, I was crap at it. Yeah, like, like going to the gym or anything you start and you go little by little, you get a little bit better. And whether you're, you know, you're with someone in a shop and they're serving you a coffee and you go, hi, hi how are you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to get busy later. But being genuine, genuinely interested in their answer, it might be a 30-second exchange. Yeah, It means being present and authentic in every activity mm-hmm. that you do from the moment you get up to the moment you the moment you go to bed and we live in a world of where authenticity is done <laughs> all right there's there's no authenticity though we're lied to by politicians by government institutions uh by the new you know by probably what we're getting fed for on, on most of the news channels we're looking at you know how often do you watch the news today i never watch it right well, it's my, a puppet show to me yeah yeah so but our parents yeah all right would have always watched the news at 10. I did until probably seven, six or seven, and before COVID, that's when it all changed. Actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a terrifying thought, right? Because you've got your friends, my friends, well, that means large swathes of the country are not even connected yes. to what's going on because they've, de- they've detached, they don't believe it, so yes. why, why bother? So that means that you could get leadership in the country of, who are terrifying because the people who most people don't care they've yes. given up they don't believe in it they don't think they can influence an outcome so fuck it yes and but one of the things that uh this is a topic i'm really, really interested in uh, and there's a lot to this so one is the idea that does the government run the country anyway and how much do interests that have been interests which have existed for 50, 60, 70 years influence and i think that's part of the disenfranchisement disenfranchisement mm-hmm. um is there is a f- distinct feeling that no matter who I vote in, no matter how I politically engaged by the accepted methods, there is not going to be change because the interests that lie behind that remain the same. Mm. Um, so I think that's one of the areas of, of um, uh, real frustration and annoyance, especially amongst you know younger people. But the other part is um, politicians lie to us. I think the difference now is that we know uh, or we have proof that the narratives given to us are not necessarily fact. Yeah. But what I find really fascinating and a bit scary is if we can now all admit and be grown-ups and say, okay, the grand narrative, the accepted narrative is not necessarily reality, but only now we're able to distinguish that and, and maybe see what, what might be going on, then isn't the entire history of how we understand how we got here just a grand narrative which may have zero relevance to reality. And actually, we have no idea how we got here. Well, so you don't believe the history books? Yeah. Because if we if we don't believe the current narrative, mm. where and, and we don't because we have so many conflicting images because of the proliferation of, you know, ability to record what's going on, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, why do we have the idea that the history books are, you know, giving us uh, uh, the reality rather than another narrative? I think broadly what, what we know of history is true. Mm. 
um, because it comes out in, uh, over time, right? The, 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 the truth generally comes out. Um, uh, but, the, the, you know, the ter- I, re- I read something the other day, the terrifying statistic in America especially is the people studying history and geography has fallen by 75%, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you don't know what happened, how we got here, you're not interested in it, mm. how, what's to stop you making the same mistakes again? And we'll continue to make, mis- make the same mistakes again. Because, of course, people think well, history, well, I don't need it, i just got Google. Mm. So why would I bother? But, of course, it's understanding how it's all put together with yeah. a beginning, a middle, and an end, and what caused what, and what was the catalyst for that, yeah. and this, and, you know. But is there not a, a fear that, actually, we've organised history in that way because we like a beginning, middle, and end, and we like it to be so, you know, clear and consumable, but actually, considering the chaos we live in, has chaos changed, or has our awareness just changed? God, I'll need a drink to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I can't yeah, answer that. Yeah, there's a question without an answer. It's, yeah. I ask myself, you know, as, as, as my children grow up and stuff, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, back to the politicians again, though, because I'm sort of answering this question in reverse. They can't be authentic mm. because if they are, and they, you know, uh, and they get, they're happy to talk openly about their past or mistakes they've made, they get pilloried. Mm. So they can't be. So the whole thing is set up. So let's say I went into politics tomorrow. They go through my knicker draw. Mm-hmm. All right, everything would come out. Maybe because I've been open about it, it would be a bit easier for me. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, suddenly my children, my ex-girlfriends, whatever, suddenly they'd all be turned over. They, you know, So I think any curious and interesting people have a past. Of course. So they can't, they can't, they can't have anything to do with the leadership of the, comp- the country. Know, which is insane because everyone has the shadow. Everyone mm. has the shadow and, and the uh, belief or the expectation that anyone, any human being doesn't is mm. ridiculous. And yes, therefore, how are we going to have a situation where you can have people with a broad range of experiences and the ups and downs that everyone does go through but maybe doesn't admit it? Um, yeah, you, you, you can't have it on that side. But that's why I think uh, it's all got to be about integration and ownership in mm. terms of understanding our shadow mm. and, and being open about these things mm. because then, um, you know, at least you own it. The people, who I, yeah. the people who I see who get taken down the quickest are the ones who pretend they've never done anything wrong. Yeah, imagine if how refreshing it would be today if you heard a politician of any side, left wing, right wing, said, do you know what? We made that decision at the time, I believe it was the right thing. With the benefit of hindsight, it was a mistake yeah. and we fucked up. Uh, but we've learned from it. Yes. And everyone will go, oh, great, know, fantastic. Right? But they don't. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? It is crazy. Um, but it, yeah, it's an interesting world. Is it, is it a world you would ever consider? I know that a lot of entrepreneurs then start going into that route, especially in the US. It seems to be a very well-trodden path. Anything that you'd consider? What? The, going into the world of politics? Oh, so, uh, I thought you were suggesting I go to the moon like those other idi- idi- idiots <laughs> who are Mars or whatever it is. Um, uh, I'd like to make a difference in some way, whatever whatever that means, and keep you know, and keep busy. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, and I'm hoping that I don't know, just something, that something's going to happen, isn't mm. it? I mean, we're we're hurtling towards it. Uh, you know, we, we all know environmentally, uh, we're pretty much past the point of no return. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, imagine if we spent what we spend on defence on the environment for five years, how much progress we'd make. So we're more interested in killing each other than we are in our future. Brilliant. If you're a little Martian looking down from another planet and looking at us and going, 
Oh, look, they're killing it. They're still at it. They're just more efficient now. They've got better weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we don't need to worry about alien invasion because they're scared of us. We're, we're looking after ourselves in that regard. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's interesting. I mean, does that mean so we probably need to get more vested interest, um, you know, behind the scenes of environmentalism, right? It's the only way you're going to get the, the investment there. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think people care enough. Mm. I mean, my children don't care enough, definitely. They talk about it, but I go, what? Actions speak louder than words. very easy to say something. They don't, they don't care enough. Interesting. Interesting. Um, we, a company I invested in called Canopy, um, they are, are helping people shop more sustainably by making it cheaper and providing better education because mm. obviously there's so much marketing around, you know, organic, mm. natural, all of these unregulated terms that mm. are very difficult to cut through. Um, and we're speaking to, to Tom, the founder, and, you know, it's just interesting to hear that there is, um, people want to do really well with this. Mm. People do, and, and there is, you know, a lot of anger out there from many in the younger generation about what they feel like has been a very horrible hand they've been dealt by previous generations. But um, it's a difficult one to know where, where to start. Um, I, I think there are... But look, look, we're still in amazing... If you compare 50, 60, 70 years ago... You know, we're still an amazing, you know, we're so much better off than, than, let's not forget, there's tons of good stuff that's happened. You know, think about our parents or our grandparents mm-hmm. of how hard they had to work, just, so, you know, with no washing machine, no dish, you right. know, none, none of that, very little heat, the house is always cold and damp, you remember those heaters with the three bars, and you'd mm-hmm. have to have it on for long enough so that the room dried out, and, you know, it, 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 there are so many things to be joyful yes. about, but... Uh, and so many ways we've we've got better, but so many ways that sadly we haven't. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. I often think about that, how efficient we are now. If I want to send something or buy something, I can go on Amazon and get it the next day. Again, maybe not the most environmentally friendly way of doing it, but mm. I can get things done. Whereas previously, you wanted to source something. It might be eight weeks till you managed to get it. I mean, just the amount of speed we're able to achieve because mm. of efficiency is a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, okay, I have one more question to ask you before we go into questions that we ask every guest. So obviously, you've just recently, uh, recently raised or recently announced the funding round? Uh, both. So both. About... Fine. Two months ago, we raised ten, a late-stage uh, seed round from Californian-based Bonfire Ventures. And uh, they typically, you know, they've, they, uh, they've, this is the first investment they've made in Europe, and it's the first investment they've made in uh, MarTech since, um, uh, well, uh, um, oh, I had a complete mental blank. But uh, the, uh, anyway, they've, they've invested in a couple, which mm-hmm. are runaway successes. Okay, and mm. how did you find fundraising in this environment? Um, I found it, uh, how did I find it? I think I was humbled, and I don't say that lightly because I say it authentically, because I, I was, uh, by, they, they invested in, in me. Yeah. And they believed in me, and because I, and I believed in, in turn in my co-founder, Drew, and I believe in the problem that we're solving, and they could see the passion mm. that, that's, that's so evident, and they were, and, and that, that's, that's the reason they did that, you know. Amazing. Mm. Amazing. Okay, I have five questions that I ask every guest. Mm. What's the single biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome? Are we commercially or whatever the question means to you? Single biggest risk. Um God, biggest risk. Um Oh, this is an interesting one. The biggest risk I probably um 
Do you know, I, I, don't, I, I just don't see the world that way, weirdly. I, I, I could make up an answer, but um, that's just, I, I don't really look back. I, I take them all the time. It's just such a part of my... Um, Keep asking if I, if I can come back to yeah, that. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, that's a good question. I just hadn't thought of that. Let, huh. let that one run in the background to do a bit of background processing as we go on. Okay, my second question for you is, what are you proudest of? I'm proudest of um, when I got clean, the impact that that's had on my children, my family, and uh, and generally my ecosystem and, and, and those who come into contact with me every day, every week, every month. And my son almost died four years ago. He was 11 years old and weighed 27 kilograms. He had an, eat so it's an eating disorder. So, you know, went down from 45 to 27 kilos. He was emaciated wow. and close to the end. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons I got clean. And, um, you know, him and his, his older brother, Ollie, um, uh, was, he, uh, was almost as ill, but angry. And little by little, they've got better... Uh, they've got more confident, more smiles, and just you can see their self-esteem grow, and it's amazing to watch. And and it suddenly brought home to me quite how important you know parents are with kids because you you know you think they'll muddle by, they'll make the most of everything, but you have a massive impact impact on their on on what happens to them. And I, I hadn't appreciated that before. I also hadn't appreciated how much my addictions had affected them really because you we all think don't we that oh it's fine they you know but it's not fine it's not it's, and it's only when you look back and you realize that so that's what i'm proud of is where they are today wow amazing incredible thing to be proud of them incredible mm. thank you what does it take to be successful um well, i can answer that first of all it takes a, it takes a good idea and that idea needs to have uh, needs to be it needs to have, be solving a in my case I can speak about selling software to businesses a genuine problem and it needs to be a genuinely big problem that uh, people might not know they've got the problem but once you educate the market the problem needs to be decently sized otherwise how are you going to build mm -hmm. uh, so um, uh, yeah, so you need, you need to how how rarely software companies really identify the problem they're solving. It's incredibly rare. You know, when you ask what is the problem that you're solving and how big is it, they 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 struggle to answer that question. And the other thing is just being relentless. You know, just being able to pick yourself up when it's because it's yeah, it's so often shit. It's mm. so often you like I was saying earlier on. And then you, you live, you know, like I said, you live for those meetings and, and, and it gets a little bit better, a little bit more predictable. Suddenly the quarters become, yeah, I said I'd do that and I did that. Oh, I did a bit more. Mm -hmm. And then it gets better and better. It goes quicker and quicker. And that might go on for a couple of years and suddenly you're racing away. And then guess what? You hit another glass ceiling. Bugger. <laughs> Shit. It, what worked then isn't working now. And, and then you hit this glass ceiling and you're struggling again. And you yeah. struggle, struggle, struggle. And then you hopefully break through that ceiling and, and on you go. But it's, it's, it's that um, relentlessness and that refusal to lie down. Mm. So for people on that journey, um, how do you continue to pick yourself back up? And, and, and w there's, there's motivation. There's discipline of course, and discipline more important than motivation because if we all had motivation 100% of the time, everything would be easy. Discipline is what you need on the days when you're not feeling it but need to do it anyway. But practically, is there anything that you can tell founders or 
investors who have got portfolio companies worried about their founders? So being a software entrepreneur is about being able to see around corners, right? There's no point in being able to see around a corner if you can't get people to see what you see, okay? So even if the software is kick-ass and brilliant, which in, in the case of Up, it is, we're struggling at the moment. We're getting very close to getting other people to understand the power of, of what, we're, what we're putting in their hands. And you keep wrestling with the proposition and, and, and say, what about that way? What about that way? And keep replaying it in sales meetings. And in, 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 every time you've got the opportunity to share the new message with someone, and I'm turning it over all day, every day, and trying different propositions, coming at it from different angles, until it becomes clear, until it resonates, mm. right, and shaping it and getting it closer and refining the message and keep doing that. You cannot refine your message often enough because it's what you think is clear is in all likelihood not clear. And how do you echo your message at scale is super hard. And, and, and that's something that, you, that, that all software business, all businesses actually will continually wrestle with. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Great, unbelievable advice. The next question for you is, is there anything you wish you did differently? Yeah, I, 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 wish, I wish I stopped drinking quicker. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, you know, I'm not saying there weren't, you know, I'm 55 years old. I'm not saying, uh, you know, there, were, there weren't tons of good times, um, you know, in, in, in excesses. Remember in the 19th, um, late 80s, early 90s, London was snowing, right? <clears throat> and it was snowing with cocktails and cocaine and fun and debauchery. And it was crazy. It was fun. And it was authentic, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was work hard play hard and, and all of that and for most people they just did they worked hard and play hard they had a family and they stopped playing hard and you know re- returns normal yeah. for me that i didn't have that off button mm. um and so the, the the how much more complete and happy and content i am today than i was when i was drinking and drugging is is just i, I can't i can't really describe that it's so powerful yeah and um, so i wish i stopped earlier yeah, I, I uh, few, lots of my friends are in recovery, and uh, yeah. one of them gave me a quote recently, which was just, in every single way in his life, mm. in every unit of operation in his life, mm. all units were immeasurably better mm. than when he was drinking, just mm. across every single unit, right? It was just, mm. you know, and uh, I think a really nice way of putting it. Okay, my last question. Well, if we, is there, a, is there an answer to the biggest risk you've taken? And the outcome? If not, we'll go to the last question. Yeah, I still haven't really got a decent answer. No that's worries. Yeah. No, no worries. Mm. All good. Okay, so my last question for you is, 15-year-old Ben walks in the room right now. What are you going to tell him? I would tell him to um, be authentic. I would tell him to uh, pick his friends. Properly, I'm very proud. My friends, I've got some amazing friends, and I'm very proud of them. And they've been friends for a new friends ten or fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Pro- you know, m- most of my friends are twenty or thirty years. Obviously, I've got new friends as well. I would tell them to be true to himself. I would tell him to be careful not to come off at the faster bends mm-hmm. with regard to excesses. Um. Ah, uh, guys, I hadn't thought of that. I said, um. And rem- I'll tell you what I do as well. As I'd say, a lot of people say to me, Ben, you're so naive. And you see the world so, in such a beautiful way. It's, the world is not beautiful like the way that you see it. 
And, and that's true. I am naive and I've been burnt because I'm naive. But I also believe anything's possible. Mm. I also believe in good. I believe that we'll figure out lots of the things we've talked today about. I think as, as a species, we'll, we'll find a way to, to, to solve them and be better. Um, and uh, by being authentic and open, I've met amazing people and uh, I've done amazing things with, 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 with business. And um, I impact by being authentic and open it rubs off on people. They they they, they react. To it. If you become cynic, mm. completely, well, well, you may as well go and get in the garage. If you, well, as long as you haven't got an electric car, you've got a diesel car. <laughs> stick, the, stick the exhaust in the window because you're done, right? Hundred percent. So I would rather be a bit naive and believe anything's possible and slight and see the world through those goggles because it's better to look through those goggles. I love that. That's beautiful. Mm. Ben, where can people find you? What would you like to plug? Uh, what I'd like to plug right now is the business up.ai. Uh, if you're in retail and you're a retailer and you've any, any, any kind of meaningful online presence, um, you will be performing tons of tasks today manually to drive performance marketing, marketing and sales more generally. If you automate those tasks, you will get a far better result than you get today. It's that simple. Machines can look at more data. They don't make mistakes. They don't go on a holiday and they don't have an opinion. And so come and talk to us. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.